Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to this special five-part podcast series, which I do in conjunction with David Greenberg, Special Advisor at LRN. We take a look at the white paper published by LRN entitled, What's the Tone at the Very Top? The Role of the Board of Directors in Overseeing Ethics and Compliance. It's clear with each new headline, there's a crisis in corporate leadership. You name the scandal. Me Too, retaliation against those who speak out, unrealistic financial targets, and pressure to meet them, toxic workplace cultures. But what about uh, each one of these questions raises the larger question of where was the board? So what's the tone at the board and what are corporate boards doing? In this special five-part series, we take a look at why tone at the top is so important, understanding and game planning uh, for your board of directors, why CCOs do not have enough time and enough depth with the board, what are the metrics uh, that a board should be looking at, and how should boards hold senior management accountable, and finally, what's the road ahead? It's a fascinating exploration of a very timely topic I know you'll enjoy this special five-part podcast series. This special five-part podcast series on the role of the Board of Directors in a best practices compliance program is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. Episode four, Board Metrics and Managing Senior Management by the Board. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with David Greenberg, Special Advisor at LRN, and our five-part exploration of what's the tone at the very top. Today, in Episode 4, we take a look at metrics and senior management. So, David, uh, I guess from my perspective, I, I feel like many, both CCOs and boards, feel like metrics around compliance and ethics is the panacea, a B-end, uh, and all-end. Is, is that uh, an incorrect assumption, or are there some metrics that are going to be more useful uh, than others, or how do we even begin to consider this question? Listen, I think metrics can be in- incredibly important, and I think that the traditional metrics in this field um, leave us wanting more and something different. Um, the conventional reporting on activities that we've developed as a default um, really isn't very compelling um, and helpful. Now, the right kind of metrics take more time to develop, uh, to understand, and to track. They're tough. And the right metrics are scary um, for chief ethics and compliance officers, and I think for managements and boards, because they involve results that can be difficult to produce. Um, and take a lot of time, effort, resources, et cetera. So how many chief compliance officers, for example, are confident that they can develop a plan to first drive actual and perceived misconduct in their company down tangibly and measurably, that they can develop a plan to increase speaking out when employees see something that looks wrong and demonstrate that tangibly. Same point about reducing the level of fear and the actual 
amount of retaliation. And I'd say finally, a, a kind of a biggest picture, increase employee confidence tangibly that all of this stuff is as meaningful as it sounds in corporate codes of conduct and values and aspirations. Those things are not easy to do. I'm not saying those are, you know, the be all and end all of metrics, but questions like that, that are, you know, big picture, meaningful, deal with real outcomes are where we need to go. But I, you know, we talked in an earlier episode about the fact that in their heart of hearts and in their stomachs, some board members and managements and maybe even chief ethics and compliance officers are really worried that it, it's difficult to impossible actually to impact behavior. Um, and so if we're going to set ourselves up with metrics that involve tangible impact on behavior, you know, we got to really uh, tighten our seatbelts um, and kind of, you know, man up and woman up because this stuff isn't easy. It's a lot easier to report on what you're doing than to pick some strategic outcomes and commit to producing results. I have to say, David, that really sounds like a, a very dramatic challenge for CCOs and something that perhaps uh, CCOs really need to think about more and work towards, and, and we have more discussions exactly on that point. How can uh, there be a framework for the development of these key metrics and then uh tailor it to each organization uh, on a bespoke basis based upon their own risks, risk tolerance, and uh, risk management tools. I think that's right. And I think there's some reason to be optimistic because I would say that if we were having a discussion with an audience of experienced chief ethics and compliance officers, um, I think they'd, a lot of them would agree. Um, this is the challenge and this is the future. And I think they're already working on it. What I've seen from a board level in my own experience and what I've seen from our study is that we haven't quite crossed the Rubicon in terms of making that full case to boards and having boards in turn adopt metrics like that and create the expectations of management that those are the metrics we're going to meet and measure. But I, I think we're partway there in terms of where the whole field is moving. David, I'd like to turn now to uh, something that surprised me a little bit. I would say it's almost a tactical issue or a tactical response, but the report noted that many boards do not hold executive sessions with their CCOs, and there was some frustration in the CCO reporting community on this. So I'd like to start with that and then really get your thoughts on if that is is something as a board member uh, you would like to see more of, or kind of looking back in your your prior life as a CCO, uh, would you have found that of, of value if if that had been available to you? Well, um, overall, this is this is a no brainer, absolute no brainer. Okay, I think it is uh, scandalous that this doesn't happen in every company. Um, you're not going to build a connection and relationship with 
chief compliance officers without this. Um, it sends a powerful signal to management. It puts ethics and compliance on the map and gives it more equal weight to functions like internal audit, law and finance, who do have executive sessions. It makes it more likely that chief compliance officers will feel empowered to do what they got to do when the rubber of senior misconduct hits the road. Um, it's the right thing to do from a legal and policy point of view. The federal sentencing guidelines and the DOG, DOJ uh, sentencing criteria both reference it, um, that it's the right practice. And it's easy to do. Usually it takes no time because there's nothing to report. But it is an incredibly important insurance policy for when there is something to report, it gets done, and it'll be worth the time. So uh, I had that. I, I had a separate session with the audit committee at every audit committee meeting. Um, it did all of the, helped do all of the things I said. And um, as a chairman of a governance committee and a member of an audit committee, um, I've insisted on it. And it happens and it helps. It's not the be all and end all, but a lot of times it's a reflection of the fact that there's not a significant relationship and connection between boards and ethics and compliance. I might add too that as we're talking about this, um, boards need to understand that there also needs to be a relationship outside of the board or committee meetings with the chief ethics and compliance officers. Those relationships exist with senior management and they exist with, you know, the other important functions. And that's something that will really help because outside of board meetings, there's more time and ability to focus. It, it's not impossible to get two hours of an audit chair or governance chair's time to really go into depth, you know, once a year or more. And that sets up everything else. So, David, I'd like to end with a couple of your thoughts around the issue of how should a board either uh, direct, influence, or communicate to senior management that it expects senior management uh, to be involved in the overall compliance effort? Uh, should they uh, expect reports from senior management? Should they expect involvement in, in terms of sending out communications to employees? Uh, what would you suggest that a board do on that score? You know, it's funny. Um, when I work with boards, sometimes they say, you know, ask that exact question. Like, how do we communicate to senior management that this is important? Um, and it, I, I tell them it's, it's always a curious question to me. Um, boards, boards create all sorts of expectations and accountabilities for senior management. They also create compensation plans for senior management. Um, and you can tell what's important by looking at what the chief executive officer's uh, objectives are for the year. You can tell what's important by looking at how the compensation plan for senior management works. Um, overall, you've got to drive ethics, compliance, culture, 
integrity, doing the right thing into the heart of the business. And a good place to start is what are the expectations we as a board are creating for senior management? If, if you read objectives and you read comp plans and integrity and ethics and compliance and doing the right thing are nowhere to be seen, um, you're starting way behind the curve. And so I think that's where you start. You start with here are expectations of senior management and senior management has a tool and resources, you know, called one of which is the chief ethics and compliance officer and his or her team to help meet those objectives. Um, But if you don't put ethics and compliance squarely into the business and squarely onto the shoulders of the CEO and his or her team, um, you're, you're handicapping the whole effort. So that's where I would start. And I don't think that's unreasonable to ask senior management, you know, come to us with a set of objectives that reflect how you're going to um, positively influence the culture of integrity and the right kinds of behaviors at your company. And that will probably lead to senior management turning to the chief ethics compliance officer, uh, maybe the chief human resources officer uh, in tandem and saying, you men and women go struggle with this and come back to us with a plan. And then you're starting to talk about a strategic game plan uh, that's the right kind of strategic game plan. David, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode four. But once again, I've been visiting with David Greenberg, special advisor at LRN. I hope you'll join us tomorrow for our fifth and final episode where we take a look at to the veiled land of the future in the road ahead. David, thank you. Sure, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of our special five-part podcast series on what's the tone at the very top, boards and compliance with David Greenberg, Special Advisor at LRN. We're going to link to this report in the show notes, so check it out. It's chock-packed with lots of great information. I hope you will join us again for another episode of this special five-part podcast series. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.